welcome to the Irish Pagan School podcast. Your hosts are authors and co-founders of the Irish Pagan School here in County Waterford, Ireland, Laura O'Brien and John O'Sullivan. Falcha. Back to Eva Falcha. Hi, hello and welcome. It is John O'Sullivan from the Irish Pagan School and we are here with this week's check-in chat and coffee talk. And today I'm going to be exploring the possibility of an Ireland, Irish horned god. Uh, it's something we get asked about a lot. So if you're interested, stick around. But until then, please make sure you're joining our mailing list and getting access to all of our free classes and free resources that we have here at the Irish Pagan School. You can find all the information on that in the descriptions there down below. It's worthwhile getting on the mailing list because it keeps you in connection with all of the amazing stuff that we're releasing on a regular basis, as well as um, access to a guided checklist of free resources um, that we recommend at the school for you know getting it right first time. So, talking about Ireland's horned god, and why would I even want to talk about that? Well, we get contacted quite regularly with questions asking about a particular wilderness deity by the name of Cernunnos. Cernunnos is described as an antlered god of the wilds, of the wild places. He's often depicted with um, multiple different creatures around him, either deer or birds, fish in some cases. Um, He's also said to have uh, a, either a belt or a torque, um, which has snake heads on, on it. So either two snake heads and he feeds the belt either wise or he feeds parts of the torque. Um, he's also described as a god of fecundity, which is fertility and reproduction. Um, the reason why we get asked about it at the pagan school, the Irish pagan school, is because he's said to be a Celtic deity. And this causes a lot of confusion. Because people think that Irish is Celtic and Celtic is Irish, or it's all the same thing, isn't it? Those people are wrong. Sorry, if you are one of those people, I'm going to correct you and say you're wrong. Um, Ireland, like Cernunnos as a deity is actually a Gaulish deity, which is modern day France. And so divorcing or devoiding um, a, a deity from their culture, from their origin culture, is is not the right way. It's not the way the way to build a right relationship honoring that God. In the same way, trying to shoehorn in a deity into other cultures um, is also not honoring and connecting in the right way. So where does the confusion come from? Well, it actually comes from an academic term. When we talk about Celtic, um, they, we're talking about a number of nations which share a similar linguistic root language. And so when academics are trying to understand the origins of language in all of these different locations in Western Europe, um, they they put forward this idea of a Celtic root or a bit. And the root of it, the root language is actually um, Proto-Indo-European. But as that language moved across into Western Europe, which is the current understanding and current model, it changed and shifted in different ways, depending on what culture and which nation or, or tribal area it ended up in. And so as academics try and evaluate this, they end up saying, OK, well, there's these languages that kind of have this similar themes and tread, similar linguistic structures, similar verb structures. And then there's other languages which differ. And so we end up getting into this split or this branching of the this Proto-Indo-European language, which comes down into either P-Celtic or Q-Celtic. And it's believed or has been believed in the past that Irish was some offshoot, some weird offshoot of the Q-Celtic branch. 
linguistically speaking. Um, current, more modern studies looking at Proto-Irish, the oldest forms of Irish language that we can kind of reach back and explore, are seeing something a little bit different now. Nowadays, there's there's a lot more in common between Proto-Irish and Finnish, which is not one of the, the Proto-Indo-European Celtic languages at all. So um, this idea of Celtic nations stuff is purely from an academic point of view when exploring linguistics. So if anyone kind of presents the idea of uh, a unified Celtic nation of red-haired, green-eyed, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, fair-skinned people, they're wrong. Either they're misinformed, they don't know better, or they're pushing some form of genderous, uh, no, sorry, genetic essentialism or racism. Um, so, yeah, there is no one unified Celtic race. Um, but that's where the, the confusion happens, because people think, oh, well, sure, Celtic is Celtic, and the countries are all so close together. Surely it's the same thing. And that's where we get into these problems of conflation. What looks like something in one culture might be something similar in another culture. And next thing you know, you have some, um, I think it's, it's referred to as ethnocentric, someone outside of a culture comparing it back to their own culture and then trying to rationalize it. One of the most famous people who did this was Julius Caesar. Yeah, that guy who conquered most of Western Europe for the, the Roman Empire. And um, he was very, very much so. All of his writings, he kind of conquering the Gaulish people, conquering the Germanic people. He tries to compare their deities and what the symbolism and imagery he sees in his, their deities back to his own deities. Um, and, you know, there's there's an intentional kind of colonial attitude that goes around with that. But that's not our conversation for the day. We're looking for a horned god in Ireland. And Cornelius is not it. He is not Irish. He's Gaulish. Um, so is that the end of our exploration? Is is that the final answer? Well, no, it's not. And here's where things take a little bit of an interesting turn, because when we do go in and explore the Irish lore, we have a number of different examples through the various cycles of story, which give us teasingly insights into things which may point to some idea or some concept of an Irish horned god. Um, the most recent one we have that I've gone through and explored is from the Fenian cycle or the Oceanic cycle. When we talk about Ireland's kind of lore, it's broken down in four categories, um, which is the mythological cycle, the Ulster cycle, the Fenian cycle, and then the cycle of kings, which is a more of a historical glossary of kingship in Ireland. Um, but when we look at the, the Oceanic cycle, the Fenian cycle, the Fenian cycle explores the, the titular hero, Fionn Machul and his Fianna. So Fionn, in one of the stories, carries off a successful raid and he brings away a whole lot of women from, you know, a, a rival. And in keeping those women in, um, in his Fianna kind of warband group, there is a person by the name of Jarek Cora in his group. And he's actually said to be a servant. And Jared Cora is the one who makes the fire for everyone to kind of cook their dinner. And just for shits and giggles of it, because he can, Jared Cora starts jumping back and forward across the fire just for the fun of it. Now, his antics kind of catch the fancy of one of the women that, you know, Fiona carried off and she expresses her interest in him. But Jared Cora, knowing that that particular woman Fionn had taken a fancy to. He says, sorry, you know, I can't because I'm on I'm honor bound and loyal to Fionn. The woman 
spurned to, um, is unhappy with this and goes to Fionn and kind of makes allegations against Jarakora to Fionn. Jarakora, like, you know, ends up on the, the, the wrathful side of Fionn's anger and is banished from the Fianna. And Fionn actually says to him, like, you know, I'll give you three days, but if our paths cross ever again after those three days, you're my enemy. So that's where we leave Jarakora in the story until we pick him up a little while later. And what actually happens is the Fianna are moving through a forest and they come across something very weird. They come across a man. And this man is sitting up in a tree and on his shoulder is a bird and below the tree is a stag and below the stag in a river is a fish. And as the Fianna watch, the man takes, um, I think he takes like a, a, a nut out of the tree. He breaks it in parts. He gives a part to the bird. He takes a part himself. He drops a part down to the stag. He then... And I think he gives another part to the fish. But then he takes a sip out of a goblet he has and he gives a sip of the water to the bird. He gives a, pours a sip out down to the stag and pours some water out down to the fish. Now, this is this section of the story seems to be very odd because it is this man who's living in balance or in connection with all of the natural world around him. And oddly, the different types of animals that are presented kind of equate to the different a kind of esoteric spiritual aspects of earth, sea and sky, or in that instance, like the, the bird is of the sky or the air, the stag is of the earth. And of course, the sea or the water is where we find the fish. So there's a whole multiple layering of esoteric imagery going on in here. And all of the Fianna are baffled to be seeing this and they have no idea who it is until Fionn, you know, engaging with his one superpower, puts his thumb and his mouth, uh, which allows him to engage or access with the blistering he received from the Salmon of Knowledge, connecting him to the source of all knowledge or emboss. And from there, he recognizes who the man in the tree is, and it's Jared Cora. So that is where that section of the story ends. Like, it doesn't say that Fionn kills him or slays him or anything like that at all. And it's this weird, wild man just living with and connectedness with nature all around him and sharing everything from the world in which he's living in. Um, but the name is where things get a little bit more interesting because as we kind of take the words Jarag and Cora and try and break those back into the older forms of Irish, the word Jarag is very still quite commonly, it's the word red. Um, so the first is red and Cora though is where things take another interesting turn because Cora actually means peaked peaked or like rises in the ground or horned or antlered and so what jared cora's name translates to is the red horned one or the red peaked one and so we have this reference to much of the imagery and much of the the interconnectedness of wildness which people see in horned gods of wild places similar to canonus in jared cora but what's interesting is that the, it, it almost falls out of sequence or out of series with the stories. And um, because we have this warband saga of Fionn traveling around with his Fianna. And then in here, the, it's almost as if the storyteller wanted to remember or recollect to those documenting the stories, something a little bit older and found a place to work it in. But that's not the only kind of reference that we have. One, even 
more odd and oblique is from the Ulster cycle. So if you remember, we have the cycle of kings, the Fenian cycle, we're going back further into the Ulster cycle, and we have the very famous character known as Connell Kernock. Connell Kernock is one of the heroes of Ulster. He's said to rival Cúchulainn, the great hero of Ulster, and Lurburjok uh, in many of the stories as we go around. But there's one reference to Connell Kernock which kind of almost teases his name Connell Kernock seems to have similar kind of roots to Kernunus in this wilderness and whether or not it's that that led to this part of the story being built in or whether or not this is an original story that kind of crosses over but there is a small reference to Connell Kernock in the Ulster cycle where he hears of a snake he hears of this monstrous snake creature which is causing trouble out of Ireland and he goes to confront the snake he leaves and goes to it but oddly, what happens there is that when Connell Kernock meets the snake, the snake knows Connell Kernock and Connell Kernock knows the snake. And instead of it turning into a fight, the snake wraps itself around Connell Kernock's waist and becomes his belt. And that is the story. That is the end of it. Now, the imagery we have, like you're pointing at Kernonis, we have this torque or this belt which has like snake heads that he feeds on it so is this in some way a reference or connectedness of Connell Kernock to that mythology to the animal elements even Connell Kernock himself has many different um, animal aspects associated with him much like Cúchulainn in the Ulster cycle but maybe that's a, a deeper conversation for a different day but they're not gods though we have heroes and we have men but do we have gods and for gods, we need to go that little bit further back. So before, older than the Ulster cycle, we have the mythological cycle. In the mythological cycle, we have Laragabal Erin, the book of the taking of Ireland. Um, and in here is where we find those who are deemed to be Irish gods, Ireland's gods. And that is the two of the Danon. So the two of the Danon coming into Ireland, out of the islands, up into the north and the east, bringing with the, their skills, their talents, their knowledge of druidry and magics. But there's no one of them that is said to be a god of the wilderness. In fact, there's few of them who are specifically said to be a god. But one of those few is someone we need to have a look at as we go on this exploration, and that is the Dagda, the Dagda Moor. So the Dagda is presented to us as a one of the heroes of the Tuatha Dé Danann. They're, they're, they actually refer to him as their god of druidry because of his skill in every arts. When we're looking at this invasion for the Fomorians during the second battle of Moitura, the the druids promise to call the names the mountains. So the mountains will cast their rocks against the invading Fomorians. And the cupbearers promise to hide all the rivers and the lakes of Ireland so that a great thirst will come upon the Fomorian invaders. The sorcerers promise to rain fire from the skies to burn and destroy the Fomorian invaders. But during all of this, the Dagda then steps up and says, the labors you have all promised, I will take upon myself and do. And no one argues with him. No one disputes him. In fact, Nuada turns to him and then refers to him. Well, you are the Dagda. You are the good God because he's good at everything. And he promised he'd do it. So it's as good as done. But here we have those kind of esoteric elements coming through again, because like, we have the mountains for earth. We have the fires from the sky for sky, for air. And then we have the waters and the rivers and the lakes for water. So there's these kind of three aspects brought forward in the Dagda's power. But we also have to look at this fecundity element, this kind of fertility aspect. And much like all of these other gods that we find around, there is this, they are gods of fertility. They're gods of kind of reproduction and reproduction processes and having children. 
And so the Dagda is linked with fertility and having children. One of his many epithets, one of his many names is Olahar, which is great or ample father. So he is the big daddy of many of the two of the Dan. He's not the father of all of the gods, as we see in some other pantheons, but he does have many children himself and many foster children, which actually look to him as well. So he is this fertile fecundity deity uh, associated with that themes, as well as being a man of the wilds, as well as being you know, one of his other names, Uchid, which is horse lord. Um, there are many, many stories of him clearing an entire forest in one evening, drawing out rivers to irrigate the new plain that he cleared the night before. Um, so there's a lot of kind of connectedness of him between the earth and all of the practices with that. But is he horned? Well, you know, you can make the argument that he's horny, but like that's a different thing, maybe. But when we have different descriptions of the Dagda, and um, one of his other names is Rua Rowasa, which is the, the red one of great knowledge. And this is where we have that red one coming back in. And instead of being Jared for Jarakora, we have Rua, which tends to be more kind of red haired. Um, and we have multiple different stories of him in different physical descriptions, but none of them actually says that he has horns. But that's not where our story ends, because during the second battle of Moitura, when the Fomorians invade the Daitikos to spy on the Fomorian landing. And here is where he has his interaction with Indech, one of the kings of the Fomorian army. And it doesn't really go well. Like they, they put this whole pit, they dig a pit in the ground and they pour a whole lot of gruel into it for him to kind of consume. And of course, if they, if he decries their hospitality, he justifies their war. So the Dagda eats everything they present to him, all of the awful, everything. He then like scoops it out from the gravel in the bottom of the pit and it costs him. It costs his body and he is distended and bloated. And so he then staggers out of the Fomorian camp, having not given them the reason to have their war. And that's when he meets his second trial, which is the daughter of Indek. And she demands that she she he she be carried on his back around Ireland, trying to shame him. She then literally kicks the shit out of him because he he says he can't because he's so bloated from the meal he had. She kicks the shit out of him and then demands that, like, you know, she he carry her on her back. And he says he can't because he has an obligation against doing that unless someone knows his name. And so she then puts him to the question three times and he ends up having to tell his full name. What happens in that is our next kind of little exploration here because he lists off what's known as a Rosk poem. A Rosk poem being one of the older kind of structures, the older linguistic structures that we have of our Irish. And it is these rolling, flowing series of words that are interlinked between them all. And that the the first word means a thing. The second means another thing. The third word means, means another thing. It's a descriptive kind of form of poetry. But then each of the words changes the meaning of the previous words around them, which makes it this very interwoven kind of complex exploration of narrative in a linguist, in a, in a structure circumstance. It's fascinating. Um, there was a piece done on that in the book Harp Club and Cauldron from Elon Otter by Isold Carmody, who actually did a great translation on it. But the the two words at the start of this Rosk poem that the Dagda gives to the daughter of Indek to describe himself is fur and ben, F-I-R-B-E-N-N. -N. Now, again, it goes fur, ben, broch, brood, bromage. Like he goes into a whole rolling kind of thing. I, I don't have them all in my head to go. And that's a different conversation for a different time, maybe. But 
the fur ben is where we need to stop and have a look at this because the word fen fur is the word for man but the word ben is pinnacles or mountaintops or peaks or heights summits but also horns and antlers so we have come back around from cora being an expression of antlered and peaked we then have the, another word ben also being this antlered or peaked or pinnacled and then we connect that to fur then he is the man of the peaks the man of the pinnacles or the peaked man or horned man so does ireland have a horned god of the wilds and the wilderness and fecundity no it doesn't is Cernunnos an irish god no he's not he's gaulish but for all of our exploration there does seem to be some aspects of it that still exist within the irish lore within the irish mythology whether or not these aspects have been carried over into other deities or other kind of characters down through time through those stories to get to us today it's hard to say for sure you know but it's worthy of an exploration and a consideration as we look for the idea of Ireland's horned god. So hopefully you have enjoyed this video. Hopefully it has been stimulating and interesting for you. Do make sure you pop down and pop yourself on, join our mailing list, get the free resources that we have available and download for you. And until next time, look after yourself. Take care. Agaslan. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a positive review in your podcast listener. Then head over to irishpaganschool.com and enroll in one of our free or paid courses. Slongafall and we will see you next time.